1: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, but we're going to start off talking today about predatory government because I wrote a little piece on that and sent it out this week. And uh, I start with John 14:6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What does that mean? How do we come to the Father? Christ came preaching the kingdom of God was at hand, and that we were supposed to be seeking it, and we were supposed to be seeking the righteousness of God. If we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, we see that Adam and Eve stopped seeking the righteousness of God, and they started seeking the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. They were going to decide what was righteous for themselves? What was right? What was good? And what was evil for themselves? And they ate of the knowledge of it themselves. That became their source, this tree. People argue was it a tree? Was this a metaphor? They argue about all these nonsensical things. Instead of the simplicity of the message, that men were going to, I mean, that's why they changed the tree into an apple tree that Adam and Eve, they ate this apple. And what is? it doesn't mention an apple. It says the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. Instead of walking with God, they hid from God, and they were going to decide things on their own. And then next thing you know, more sin comes in. Brother rises up against brother, kills his brother, and we have the story of mankind from then on is simply a repetition. And men have been blaming things on somebody else, blaming it on their wives, blaming it on their government, blaming it on somebody else. The devil made me do it instead of taking responsibility for the fact that they decided to decide for themselves what was good and what was evil. It is that simple. And I quoted in this little piece that I mailed out to the people on the Living Network Uh, Dr. Edward uh, Rivera, who's a constitutional attorney. And I've read him for years. I disagree with him fundamentally. Uh, He has many things that he points out that are true. But he is missing what the gospel is really all about. We are not trying to get back to the Constitution. We are not trying to get back to some time in the past where we imagined that we were a free people We are trying to get back to the righteousness of walking with God according to His ways and according to His righteousness. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we should be trying to do. That's what seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the righteousness of God, is really all about. But he writes in one of his articles... The end of the monarch in America should have been the end of predatory government and taxation, but written law was just getting started. And this is an interesting point. And what I point out in the little piece that I wrote to the people on the Living Network and the people in our congregations across the country is that there is no end to predatory government until there is an end to predatory people. It is the predatory nature in our own hearts that brings about the, the predators of the world and the sloth and avarice in our own hearts that snares us under the authority of those predatory people, under the canes of this will world who will rule over us by force. Cain, Lamech, Nimrod, They obtain power over us by offering us gifts, gratuities, and benefits, free porridge at the expense of our neighbor. And so God gave us a series of Thou Shalt Nots that we call the Ten Commandments that are telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Thou shalt love the God with your whole heart, your mind, and your soul. And thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. From the beginning to the end, the Ten Commandments is telling you how the nature of God really works. And that this is what you need to conform to, seek out, in order to find the righteous. And when Christ was asked, What must I do to obtain eternal life? He said, Keep the commandments. Now, does that mean you have to keep them perfectly if you break one single law that you're out forever? No, because there is grace. The prodigal son broke the law of his father. He had to leave home to do it. He had to depart from the ways of his father and his father's house. And isn't that what Cain did? He went out of the presence of God. And that's what we have been doing as individuals. As we go out of the presence of God, we apply to men who will offer us benefits at the expense of our neighbor, and we end up wallowing in the pigmire, trapped again in the system of bondage in Egypt. Everybody has done this in every country. It is it is across the board. We have all been tainted with this sin of coveting your neighbor's goods. And then that, of course, will lead to other sins. Other violations against the nature as man was created. So that man is no longer walking with God. Now, he also creates religions to make him think that he is walking with God. That he is being righteous. And he creates all kinds of rituals and ceremonies around these religions you know that you have to do this little thing and say this little thing and and bow in this particular fashion and take your shoes off and and cross yourself with holy water and do all these devout things but they're all distractions away from the simplicity of the gospel are you walking in the love of god are you giving life to others or are you taking it away to the institutions that you have created. When it says that we are to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all creation, the word creation there is actually the word for building and institutions, things that we create. This principle of serving that Christ brought when he says I come to serve. If he came to serve, should not we also come to serve in a way of righteousness that strengthens the poor? and raises up those that have fallen down and calls men back to righteousness not the self-righteousness of modern religions that think they are saved because they say they believe but do not do the things that his father has said to do from to all the prophets from the beginning john the baptist was not a baptist he wasn't Methodist, he wasn't Presbyterian, he wasn't Episcopalian, he wasn't Catholic. He was called the Baptist because he performed a partic- particular ritual of baptism. But it wasn't the water that saved you. It was this Holy Spirit that we had to immerse ourselves in. What He gave instructions along with that baptism. He said, if you have no coat and your neighbor, or someone has no coat and your neighbor has two, that the neighbor with two should share with the neighbor that does not have a coat at all. But it's only sharing in charity if you choose to do it. If you hire men to force that sharing, you are robbed of charity. Now, anybody at that time could have gone down to the temples built by Herod. The Temple of Roma or the, or the Temple in Jerusalem. Because he built both. And you could have gone to those temples and you could have got baptized in the laver at those temples and registered with the scribes, which that's what scribes means, is accounted someone who writes it down. And you would not have been idiotus. You would not have been unregistered. You would have been registered. And you would have been required to pay in to the temple treasury, which is sometimes called the Corbin. That, That temple treasury would have grown in money because everybody had to pay in. But it also supplied you with benefits when you were older, if you became blind, if you were injured. And the baptism of the Pharisees went all over the Roman Empire, and you could belong to that system of social welfare. That Corbin, that sacrifice that you made and paid in to take care of the needy of your society was not on deposit for you when you retired. You were taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through the sacrifices that you put upon the altar where you were registered with the scribes. But it was a compelled offering at this time. It was compelled there was still voluntary offerings too, but it was it had become this social welfare compelled offering because that's why they had to write down your name and why they had to have a membership, and why they had a Sanhedrin who was their Congress of the day, the same as there was a Senate who was imposing a tax of Corbin upon you. But you agreed to it because you said, well, this is really cool. Everybody's going to pay their fair share. No one will be left behind. But evidently there were some that did not get the baptism of Herod. Some went out and got the baptism of John. Some would not play the predator game through the agency of their governments and their religious beliefs. They would not say, oh, you have to sign up for this. And then you have to pay in, and then the ministers of this system will take care of you when you have a need. Some said, no, if you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. But you keep the right to choose to share. You remain free souls. Under God, in the kingdom of God, with the right to be ruled by God and not to be ruled by the scribes and the Sanhedrin and the fathers of the earth. But we have not done that. We have not followed the ways of John the Baptist, nor have we followed the ways of Christ. Someone said that it was okay to covet your neighbor's goods, as long as you just did it through government. Because they divorced the gospel of the kingdom from the gospel of now from the present time and from the ways of Christ which was that you were to take care of the needy in pure religion by faith, hope, and charity because that system of Corbin where you force the contributions of your neighbor though they signed up, only the ones that signed up, only the ones that registered, but still they had to pay in or they could be penalized they could be fined you became a part of a predator system that devoured who it will. And that will was done through those who could decide what was good and evil. And that was their congress. That was their Sanhedrin. That was their kings. That was their rulers. That was their princes. Call it by any name you want. That is the antithesis of what Christ came to say. It is the opposite of what John the Baptist was preaching. That you were to take care of the needy and pure religion unspotted by that system of Corbin, of sacrifice, that makes the Word of God the none effect, that works real well at first, and then does not work at all, and brings to an end liberty under God. And that is where people have gone. They have not followed the ways of Christ. John was preaching the kingdom of God was at hand, and that we should make straight the way of the Lord. But modern churches have turned the gospel that was preached by him and by Christ and by the apostles into something of unrighteousness. They... They're all whited. They have their beautiful buildings, and they sing wonderful songs, and they praise, and they pat each other on the back, and they hug each other, and they shake each other's hands, and they build great things, hospitals, all sorts of things, and they have charity amongst them. But they also go to men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other, and they apply to them. What is the difference between applying and praying? What is the difference? Isn't a prayer an application for something you desire? Dear Lord, please give me this. We are to pray for our daily bread from God. But instead, most people over... over. Uh, 40, 50 million people in America get food stamps. You cannot get food stamps or EBT cards or whatever it is. You cannot get that unless you pray to the government to give you one. You have to apply to the government to give you one. And what do you need to apply to the government to give you one? You need to be registered. You need to be registered with them and... Usually that involves your birth certificate. You can you can be you can't be or do anything in this country without a birth certificate, hardly at all, except maybe be president, which is a little humor there. But the reality is you have to register your children in order to obtain those benefits. You had to do that back in the days of Rome as well. You had to register the birth of your children At the Temple of Saturn. Because that was their Bureau of Vital Statistics. Today, you register your children with another bureau. Another temple. Another institution. But that institution does not know the way, the straight way that John was talking about. It does not know the way of Christ. It is an agreement with those who do not believe in the way of Christ. Because the way of Christ and the way of John was that if there was a need, you filled that need by charity. Until John, people had tried to establish their systems of government throughout all the world, from the heavens above to the center of the earth, by force. Now, there had been systems around that were based on charity. But... In that world, that time, everywhere in Rome, they had moved from charity. This is Rome was 500, 700 years old by this time, depending on when you start their date. They were a republic for 500 years before. They were not a republic at the time of John the Baptist. They were not a republic at the time of Jesus Christ. That had all been swept away by Augustus, the first true Caesar of Rome. He campaigned on the premise that he would return to the ways of the Republic, but they never did. They moved farther and farther away. And there were many people within Rome that could still remember the old Republic, a society that operated by faith, hope, and charity, with not rulers making laws, but old men giving wise counsel, gathering the people and moving them together because of the righteousness that every man sought, the law that every man sought, that was had to be written in your hearts, the social welfare state changed the nature of Roman people, and that changed the nature of Roman government. It became a predatory government. it had been on that way for some time, but originally it was a republic it was not people invited Rome in. Because Rome brought justice. Rome brought security. Rome brought a system of law and order. Rome had been invited into Judea. It did not come there and conquer it. It had come as a peacekeeping force for Aristobulus and Hyrcanus were having a civil war over who would be king in Judea. Which is always what comes about When you set up systems where the leaders can exercise authority one over the other. And the people in Judea had done this many years before with Saul, which was called in Samuel 8, a rejection of God. You see, so you don't want to get back to the days of Saul. You want to get back to the days of righteousness. You don't want to get back to the day that the people rejected God and said, we will have a ruler who can fight our battles for us, a commander-in-chief who can fight our battles for us. You want to get back to the days of righteousness where there were no kings in Israel. And each man did what was right in his own heart. And when, not even a majority, but a number of the people knew and saw it, and served righteousness, you had a righteous government. Because it was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, and they were righteous people. And they didn't all have to be righteous. They didn't have to have 51% of the people righteous. They could have 30% of the people righteous, and they would have righteousness in the land. Because it's like having a candle You know, if you have light in the room, there's light in the room. You don't stumble. It's just there. Even if it's just one candle. Now, if you have a 100-watt light bulb, you have more light. But you could still see with just a candle. But when there is no candle, or when that candle is hidden under a bushel basket, or put into a prison with no windows, then there is no light in the land. And today, in the world, in country after country, there is no light in the land. We go to foreign countries where the poor are, and we we say we are bringing a light of righteousness. But we often don't. We bring the same system of Corbin into those places. Now, I'm not saying don't go. Today, the wealthier the country, the more it is a mission field for Christ. Because it is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven into the straight way that John the Baptist was talking about than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, which is another whole story, a metaphor. The eye of the needle, in my opinion, was a doorway in a walled-in city. And it was very small and very narrow. And a camel... Burdened with many goods cannot fit through that doorway. And if you came after they had shut the main gate, you could not bring your camel into the city where it would be safe from marauders or thieves or whatever. So you would have to take all the possessions off of the camel. All the things that were burdening him off the camel. And then the camel being so tall, he would have to get down on his knees and you have to whip him a little bit to get him to move through that little doorway. It was a little doorway because it would be hard for people easily to defend a little tiny doorway. And that's how you would get a camel through the eye of the needle, through that little... That's why they called it the eye of the needle because it was such a small and narrow little door. So, Richmond can get in, but they have to unburden themselves. And today, one of the supposedly richest countries in the world is the United States, where I happen to live in the United States. And it is a very wealthy country if you look around and see all the things that people have. You go into the grocery stores and there's just food lined up on the shelves. Choices and choices and choices of all kinds of foods. And you can go to... Store after store, and the goods you can get everywhere, and parts for your equipment, and and cars, and tractors, and everything is so available. But it's really not a rich country. It is the most indebted country in all the world. It will have to work very hard to get up to broke. It is not. It cannot get up to broke at the rate that it is going broke. I mean, it's, it's already gone broke. We're in a negative. Everywhere. And we have made the people collateral for this debt, so they are all human resources. Their lands are all forfeited. They don't own their lands anymore. They have legal title, but they don't have the right to the use of it. So therefore, if they do not pay the use tax, they lose their land. Because they don't own it. And we explain all of this as a matter of knowledge, because people don't have that knowledge, because they went to their slave masters and said, Teach us what we will need to know to be good slaves. And they got their free education, and they have learned how to be good, free slaves. We'll tell you more about this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom in just a moment. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to tell you about the Kingdom of God. And we're talking about predatory governments. And predatory governments are the result of a predatory heart in the people, where people desire what they want, even if it is forced from the hands of their neighbors. They are willing to club their neighbors, even, over the head. Now, most people would, oh, they would just be horrified of that. But the reality is if you hire a servant to do work for you, you become responsible for what that servant does and the way in which he does it. And what we have done is we have created social welfare systems throughout the world, governments throughout the world that provide services for the people by their agents, by their leaders, by their princes, by their rulers. And the sins of those Servants falls upon those they serve because of the manner in which they serve. If they wage war on a country and kill thousands, even millions of people, and you have elected those men, you have given them power, you can be held responsible. If you have been snared in such a system, Like it was in Egypt. You know, most people don't realize it. When they talk about in Egypt, uh, where they were ensnared in Egypt. They were ensnared because they had to go to Egypt in order to get the bread they needed to sustain themselves through the famines. There was a famine. They spent all their money. They slaughtered all their animals. They didn't have anything left. And they actually sold themselves into bondage during these hard times. And when they sold themselves into this bondage, they had to pay 20% of everything they earned to the government. Whatever they, you know, 20% of their labor had to go to the government in some form or another. And they called that the bondage of Egypt. And everybody had to do it except for a few people that were exempt, which was the ministers, the priests of that society. And what they were, that's another whole story, and we won't get into that now. But the reality is those those guys remained exempt because they already had a stipend for the services that they provided to society. And so they didn't need to sell themselves, although today most ministers of whatever religion you're in have sold themselves for those same benefits. And they are in the same bondage. And we have all gone into that bondage. And we, we don't know any other system. And we go to church and they don't tell us what we've done. We've sold ourselves. And we have been snared by what should have been for our welfare. But it it was a snare because what should have been for your welfare was collected by force. By Cain. By Nimrod. By the ways of Babylon. Not by the ways of John the Baptist. Not by the ways of Christ. Because their way was individual choice. Individual right to choose. Individuals giving charity to help out the needy of society. But somebody said, no, let's elect men who will decide for us and rule over us and take care of us and provide for us and fight our battles and put out our fires and arrest criminals. And then we can go into our houses and watch TV. Of course, that's not quite the way you said it at the time. And it crept up on you. It didn't just happen overnight. It happened a little bit at a time. That we got away from the precepts and principles spoken of from the early times by philosophers and prophets alike. And we could not see the foolishness of our own ways because we were so proud, we were so great, we were so us. And we decided for ourselves that this is a good way to go. And it was not. It was absolutely contrary to the ways that Christ taught, that Abraham taught, that Moses taught. And right in churches that study that very book, we were the most criminal in our covetousness. I I was putting together an article on Saul Alinsky. And he wrote a book, and he dedicated it to Lucifer. But he made his greatest inroads of his philosophy, which is absolutely satanic, his philosophy. Take from your neighbor so that you can have. Force your neighbor to provide for your welfare. That's his basis of his philosophy. He is socialistic, communistic, all that kind of catchphrases and words where they do not operate by charity. They operate by force. He doesn't call people to come together to help one another. He calls people to come together to take from others. And he made his greatest progress in churches. His The institutions he created are still preaching right in the churches themselves. And what he preached was the antithesis of John the Baptist straightway. The antithesis of Christ Corbin. Because he preaches the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the Word of God to not effect. The social welfare by signing up and having to pay in. And then the majority say, oh, going to have to pay in more. And going to have to pay in more. And we've written articles on this, not so secure, social security, etc. But it's it's coming about. What we've been prophesying for years. What was prophesied for centuries before. What is written in the Bible that tells you what will happen. They will take your sons and daughters. They will take your first fruits, They will take your lands. They will take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, God will not even hear you because you've already rejected Him. You've already rejected His ways. You've already turned your back on everything that He preached. And yet you still go to church thinking you believe in Jesus. But you're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said. You actually imagine yourself that you are saved because you believe in Jesus when you don't even know who he was and what he was saying. You, you put labels on him, Son of God, Messiah, Highest Son of David. Highest Son of David, that's the king. Do you know what the people said? They were told what would happen if they elected a king who could exercise authority over them. And it all happened. And by Rehoboam, they asked for their freedom back. But Rehoboam would not give it back, and it split the nation, weakened the nation, and they all went into captivity. Some of them escaped, but they were never a nation. They just wandered in the wilderness. Sort of a nation, but never... I mean, you don't even know who they are most of the time. They just got little names on them out there. And most people don't even know what those names were. Because, But what happened was Christ came back and preached what they should have been from the beginning, before Saul, before David, and became the king who set them free and said, here are the princes of a nation that I am going to appoint. I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me. He says this right to the apostles. He told them he was going to do it. He told them that he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees and give it to others who would bear fruit. How do they bear fruit? They bear fruit because they give you back your responsibilities. And with those responsibilities comes the rights that God gave you to begin with. To be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Not connected to the administration of government. Your right remains yours. It is not a regulated right. Except by righteousness. So the kingdom of God is only for the righteous. It's not for those who believe they are righteous. It's for those who are actually righteous. In their ways. Now they won't be perfect in that righteousness. And it's a journey back. But did not... God come out to meet the prodigal son because he was on his way back to be his servant? Why did Christ tell us that story? Because there is grace for our imperfections. But we have to turn around. We have to head back to a society that is operating by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. We have to go back that way. Today, I received a story uh, that was printed by the Washington AP. It talks about 70,000 young children would be kicked off Head Start, which is, in my book, actually good. But this will cause 10,000 teachers to maybe lose their job. 2,100 food safety inspectors' jobs are going to be canceled. Up to 373,000 seriously mentally ill adults and seriously emotionally disturbed children would go untreated under the new budget plan. 1,000 fewer National Science Foundation research grants. 1,000 fewer grants. Now, how much is a grant? It's more than 1000 bucks. It's a lot of money. Some 12,000 scientists and students could be threatened, and many of the small business loans denied. Workplace safety inspection uh, could be curtailed. Federally assisted programs like Meals on Wheels slashed. 125,000 low-income renters uh, put at risk of losing government-subsidized housing. Now, if they hear me talking, which most of them probably are not listening to this show anyway, <laughs> but if they hear me talking, they'll think horrors, horrors. I think wonderful, wonderful. Now you can start seeking the ways of Christ. There's going to be exactly, uh, not exactly, approximately 424,000 fewer HIV tests could be conducted by state agencies working with the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. Some 100,000 formerly homeless people, including veterans, would be removed from their current housing and emergency shelter programs. It just goes on and on. There's all kinds of things that may disappear. Good. Good because they are all provided by the corbin of the Pharisees that makes the word of God in an effect. It may cause riots to come about as a cause and effect. But you know, cause and effect is the result of cause and effect, which is the result of cause and effect, which is the result of cause and effect. In other words, how did we get to this place where we need to rob every one of our neighbors in order to fund charity in this world which is not charity because you cannot rob one class of citizens take away and I use the word rob loosely because it's not really stealing the greatest destroyers of freedom are the givers of gifts, gratuities and benefits especially those that have strings attached so that's why Paul says quoting David What should have been for your welfare has become a snare. Because this is what has brought you into bondage. Your desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor, directly in violation of the Ten Commandments. Directly in violation of the heart of Christ. Directly in violation by policy in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the words of Jesus Christ. You're not to be praying to these men, these fathers of the earth, who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You are to be praying in church with your ministers who provide those same benefits by the faith, hope, and charity in those that you congregate with in free assemblies. If you can't do that, I don't care what you call Jesus. And He don't care either. Because you don't know Him. I don't care if you use Yeshua or Yahweh or any of these other nomenclatures. Because you don't know the name of Christ. Because the name of Christ is the character of Christ. And the character of Christ is that He comes to serve in a way that strengthens you. Makes you whole. Makes you holy. Separate. In the world, but not of it. I don't care what day you take off in the week, and God don't care either. Because you don't know the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath, the principle of the Sabbath is you work six days and earn your day of rest. Not take a week off and have to come back and pay for it after you've been lollygagging on the Riviera. Sabbath. is about debt. About working six days and taking your rest. It's not the, the antithesis of that is that you spend it before you get it. You take your day off before you've earned it. You take your vacation before you paid for it. And that's what you've done. And so it doesn't matter what day you take off for Sabbath. Because you've already abandoned the precepts of the Sabbath. You see, how did we get to this point? There's a strong delusion that has crept into our thinking. Supposedly, at issue, there's $1.2 trillion of additional spending cuts over the next 10 years, including about $85 billion this year. It's not enough. It's not enough. But when these cuts, you start feeling the pain of these cuts, some of you may start to wake up. Nothing like a little kick or nudge or slap in the face to wake you up. Once you start waking up, you got to realize, Hey, i got to get busy seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is the wedding feast. That is talked about. We need to be seeking that night. I sent a, a little mail out last night. Are you coming to the wedding feast? And there was an interesting uh, quote that I came across in uh, the Bible, uh, doing studies preparing for these radio shows and these uh, recordings. And uh, it was uh, this idea of coming to the wedding feast, and it, and I was reading. Well, if you read Matthew twenty. 2 3. And it says, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And that's, of course, what we see today, because the wedding feast requires that you actually be the servants like Christ and take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. You cannot do it through the Corbin of the Pharisees and say that you're following Christ. If you got the baptism of Christ, you were cast out of the social welfare system of Corbin set up by the Pharisees. You could no longer get those benefits. Today, you just get all wet. You get baptized, but you aren't going and doing what those early Christians were doing. You are still going to the Pharisees for your benefits. Because you're just getting dunked in water. You're not actually getting baptized in the way, straightway, of John the Baptist and Christ. You're not living by charity. You're still living by praying to the benefactors who exercise authority for your daily bread, which you buy with your EBT card or your food stamp, or whatever card you have in whatever state you have. You haven't been baptized. You haven't gone anywhere near the baptism of Christ. You've gone near some mindless ritual set up by false churches that you think that somehow or other you have been baptized because you got all wet. But you are no more baptized than the Christians who converted under Constantine in Milan. Because they never repented. And you haven't repented either. You're still going to the fathers of the earth. And I understand you have no other option. But that's what, what you... And I'm telling you to get out of the system. I'm telling you start following the ways of Christ. You're waking up and find out that you're in a pig mire and they're cutting your pig rations. You've been eating out of the pig trough of men who exercise authority one over the other, and he is cutting your rations, and you will not have enough. Now, you can rebel, you can get excited, you can go and riot in the streets, you can do all those things, or you can repent and turn around and start seeking the kingdom of God for a change. Matthew 22.10 So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Note that both bad and good were called to the wedding feast. You're all bad. Some of you have some good in you, but everybody's fallen short. I mean, the word bad there in the Greek is paneros, which is the same word that's normally translated evil and wicked and wicked ones. So just because somebody is coming to the wedding feast and trying to gather in faith, hope, and charity in congregations of record with us, don't imagine that some of them are not wicked. Don't imagine that you are righteous because you've started down this path. There's still a lot of pigs stink on you. You're going to have to get cleaned up. You know, I had a friend here and he asked about getting baptized and he asked if I would baptize him. I said, well, yeah, but I might have to hold you down under the water a little longer than the others. The reality is, is that we all got stuff to shed. We all got stuff to change. And we cannot change it ourselves. It has to be changed. But at least we got to be walking in the right direction for God to change us. The father of the prodigal son ran out to meet him when he was on his way back, still far off, but coming back. He did not run out to meet him when he continued to eat out of the trough. of the pig farmer. Now, I'm not saying cold turkey stuff. We already don't have enough accommodations here for everybody who wants to come here. <laughs> you you have to start small. You have to turn around enough so that you can still take care of your wives and your children and your husbands. And... and And you say, okay, a wife wants to turn around and go this other way, but the husband doesn't. What does she do? This is charity. We're talking charity. We're talking service. We're talking forgiveness. We're talking virtue here. You don't have to change your status in a system to begin the walk towards a virtuous soul and individual. If you begin to change and begin to Yearn for the righteousness of God and begin to pray it in your every off hour and do what you can so that you can save others. God will see and hear your prayer no matter how far off you are and He will create a way, He will make a way for you to come back. He will clear your way. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be provided for you. That's the promise of Christ from the beginning. I see all kinds of people want to come out of the system, but they do not want to get into the kingdom. They do not want to take care of one another. They do not want to cast their bread upon the altars. Oh, they'll help out their buddies but they are not going to help out somebody they don't even know. Because how does that benefit them? Then you don't really believe in the spirituality of the kingdom. Because when you cast your bread upon the waters, with nothing but hope that it might come back someday, now, now you've got at least one letter of Christ's name in your written in your heart. But there are many letters to His name. Many Elements to His character. And so that's what we need to do. That's where we need to go. That's what we need to understand. No one is completely honest. And everyone seeks support in one form or another. From whatever uh, means that you could receive that support. But will you do it voluntarily or will you do it by force? Will you be patient? Will you be loving? Will you be kind? Will you be forgiving? Will you be giving? Change that much in your day-to-day walk. And God will change the rest. Until we meet again, may peace be upon your house. And may God be with you.
0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to continue to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to talk on this subject a little bit more of are you coming to the wedding feast and we read from matthew twenty two three in the last show about the idea that the people were invited to come to this wedding feast there there's this talk of this bride of christ uh, this this feminine nature of service this element of service in the Bride of Christ is mentioned in Proverbs. This uh, more precious than a ruby that comes to serve. And, you know, I could give you all kinds of uh, legal uh, examinations of this concept of this metaphor of Bride of Christ. I can give you spiritual elements to this Bride of Christ. We can give you all kinds of different parts of this, uh, the predestination of the Bride of Christ which is terribly misunderstood this predestination thing and we'll get into that when we study Romans which is another series that we're we're beginning we have one on Ephesians and Colossians up Uh, we don't have the written study of that yet but we'll put that together in our spare time Uh, but in this Matthew we've we've got a lot of stuff that you can go to the website at hisholychurch.org and and, uh, Read uh, audios to listen to uh, but most important we have the Living Network where you can connect with other people and start your own study groups and your own free assemblies your congregations of record and can start actually seeking the kingdom of God together as a people that's absolutely essential because you need these other people and this is kind of expressed in this Matthew 22 section talking about the wedding feast that he invites the people that should come, which would be all the Christians, all the people professing to be Christians, but they don't come. They make excuses. They, oh, they've got to do this, they've got to do that, and they don't come. They're so caught up in their religion, in their self righteousness, they don't have time to actually show up. They don't even realize that what it means to come to the wedding feast. They think they're already there. They think they're already saved. They think they've already figured it out. They and their sin remaineth. And the same problem happened with the Pharisees. Their sin remaineth. Because they thought they already got it. They didn't approach this as a little child, which Christ also put that metaphor out there and explains that you have to be like this little child and realize that you can't figure this out on your own it has to be revealed to you and he also talks about that the keys to the kingdom blessed are you Simon you know this not because flesh and blood has revealed it but by my father revealing that is what I that is the keys to the kingdom. It's not that you heard me and now you know. It's that you heard me bear witness to what you already knew in your heart. That it's not right to take away from your neighbor at the point of a gun for your security. You make your neighbor less secure when you give that power to men to take from your neighbor to guarantee entitlements for your security, and you are not that secure either, because they—that is the unrighteous mammon. Everything they collect is in a trust, and and paid out of that trust, and that's what mammon means. It means entrusted wealth. That's what the word actually means. You can go on our website; we have a whole article on. But that's the unrighteous trust, because it is filled up. By force, not by charity and love. And so, the fruit of such a system will be what? More charity and love? No. More force. Until you bludgeon your brothers to death, you bludgeon your neighbors to death, you drop bombs on them, you, you poison them, you, you even make poison foods for your, you know, they worry about the Kool-Aid. That was served down there, Jim Jones in South America, who gathered all these people to follow him down there, and then he fed them, was it cyanide or strychnine, uh, Kool-Aid, and they all were poisoned, or hundreds of them were poisoned. Some of them fled and didn't drink the Kool-Aid. I wouldn't drink Kool-Aid if he didn't put anything in it, because <laughs> I think it's poison already. But... Uh, of course, that's my personal opinion, and not the opinion of the station where you hear this. <laughs> but I don't drink Kool-Aid. Um, anyway, the point is, is that you're all gathered together, and they're they're feeding you poisons like GMOs. They're feeding you uh, poisons like vaccinations. I mean, they put poisons in them. They they listed <laughs> it may cause death. Have another shot. You know, uh, just recently i heard of numbers of people who went out and got the flu shot ten days later they had the flu and numerous people I mean actually some of these people did it on TV now, the, the English guy that everybody hates because he's so much against uh, and for, for gun control uh, can't remember his name uh, I can't remember anybody's name because <laughs> they aren't their name they're who they are but uh He went and got a flu shot on the air. Ten days later, boom, he's got the flu and laid up. But he came into work anyway so that he could spread the flu to everybody else. And people cannot figure out what's going on. But anyway, the point is you're already in a cult. And you're already taking poison. And you've already been made so weak as a society that you cannot stand alone without that. So it's time to repent and turn around and go back. And this is what the wedding feast is, setting the table of the Lord. In Proverbs, it tells you, if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. What does he mean, deceitful meats? It serves you benefits that will make you a snare, will snare you and entrap you. You know, David says it. Paul says it's Old Testament, New Testament. It hasn't changed. It's still the truth. You can go to Plato and you can go to other people uh, like Plutarch, and he says the greatest destroyers of freedoms are the givers of gifts, gratuities and benefits. So figure it out. Okay. Matthew 22:10 talks about they went out and got both bad and good, evil and good, and brought them into the wedding feast and furnished the wedding feast with gifts, both both bad and good. And and we, we talked about that briefly in the last show, but why would God bring bad people to the wedding feast? Evil people to the wedding feast. You see, the people who come to the wedding feast, that's not the bride of Christ. That's another group. But they're still invited into the wedding feast to eat at the table of the Lord. They are still invited to do that. But what did it say in 22.11? And when the king came in to see the gifts, he saw there a man which had not on the wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Very interesting. We could go into that for half an hour, but we don't have that time. So we'll just keep on going. So what is he saying here? That he doesn't have the wedding garment. So can an evil man wear the wedding garment? Can he put on the garment of the Lord and the ways of the Lord? Can he do that? Is he capable of doing that? Uh, what does it mean to put on the wedding garment? The uh, in the, If we read on in that particular uh, quote and we see where he talks about the wedding garment and being speechless, then he says, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot Take him away, and cast him away. Cast him into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jeez, it would have been better off if he didn't go to the wedding feast at all. <laughs> he got cast out into the utter darkness, because he wouldn't put on the wedding garment. What is that wedding garment? And you go back to Proverbs and do a little looking around. Or just do a little thinking in your heart. Because really, it isn't about studying. You know? It's about being. That's why you have be attitudes. You don't have study attitudes. You have be attitudes. You know where it says, study to show thyself approved. The word there for study is actually the word to be diligent. It's not translated study anywhere else in the Bible except that one place. If that doesn't say don't study, go ahead and study. Because that's part of seeking. Because every time you you reach out, it's a prayer to know. How pure is your prayer? Do you want to know because you really want to serve? Or are you reaching out to the tree of knowledge so you can get more information in your head, more verses and chapters, repeat the Bible as if the righteousness of the prophets will rub off on you because you keep repeating the Bible. Do you even know what it's saying? Do you know what was written in his heart when he wrote it down? And we'll talk about that. And I could be all wet. I could be absolutely wrong. I could be completely deceiving you. I could be a Jim Jones. But, you know, I know I'm not. I know I, I, I want you to actually see the truth. I don't want to tell you what to do. But I have to tell you, make straight the way of the Lord. That's, that's my job. That was my job way back when I was in my mother's womb. That's why they named me Gregory. They actually named me Gregory Thomas. <laughs> it was named Thomas after a man who's, who was said that you call him a dumb ox. And a lot of people call me a dumb idiot, I'm sure. <laughs> because I'm saying something so completely different than what they're used to hearing. So it must be wrong, right? But isn't that what Christ came and told them something they had not heard before? But he spoke as if he actually knew what he was talking about. But it can't be right because it's different than what I already know. But it is right. And only those who have it written in their heart will recognize that. But it doesn't mean that you don't have choices to make and that you don't have steps to take. You must act upon what God has given you or He will take it away. Just like that talent in that napkin. So you must act. You must gather together. Not because everybody in your congregation will be good. Because some will be evil. You need those evil guys. You need them so that you can learn to forgive. You would not be comfortable. Nobody listening to the, the sound of my voice would actually feel absolutely at home and comfortable in a gathering of absolutely pure saints. You would feel out of place because you, the light would be so great. It would make you feel uncomfortable. You would have to see everything you have not yet seen about yourself in an instant. And that's too much. You, you could only look at real saints through a crack because they will shine with the light of Christ. We strive to be saints, to be sons of God, to be children of God. We seek that. We're not there. We are we are in a battle in this world. This is the zombie apocalypse. Because the dead are walking around and they not only burying the dead, they'd like to bury you. If you start waking up. If you start not looking like a zombie. If they realize you're not a zombie too, you know like why don't you see all the zombies eating each other? <laughs> they only want to eat the living. Isn't that interesting? How they write these stories. It's it's what's going on. It is your nightmare is being put. Up. I'm amazed they're making another zombie movie. I can't remember what it is what it's called and who's in it. Like somebody said, Brad Pitt or somebody. But anyway, <laughs> they're they're making another one because that is the nightmare. People do not see. The truth. They they don't want to see the truth. And anyone who brings the truth in is the enemy of the lie. They want to believe they're alive, but they are dead. They do not hear the ways of God and the righteousness of God. They do not want to go the way. Self-righteousness is good enough for them. And they have their churches and their... Uh, Appearance of godliness. And some of them don't even have churches. They don't even bother with that. They have their politics. That's the church of the holy politics. you know. And that's all they want. They don't want to give up their life for their fellow man. They want their fellow man to give up their life for them. They are the antithesis of Christ. Yet they say they believe in Jesus. And that they have accepted the blood of Jesus. And they want you to say the same thing. But it's all uh, zombie language. It's it's meaningless. Because it's not really Spirit-filled. And they substitute emotion for the Spirit. And they use emotion to take from one class of citizen and give to another class of emotional citizen. And they say, heal. They're miraculously healed. And they rob each other. The same as they do in their economy. In their fleshly economies. And when it gets bad, they will devour their neighbors. They unless they really repent. And the fact is this whole repentance thing is very interesting, you know, because it's not done in your head, up here in your brain. It's done in your spirit. And your heart and your brain will follow that repentance you will become this humble individual who realizes how wrong he is you won't be beating yourself up and judging yourself you won't be beating up other people and judging them you will want to call everybody to righteousness but not in a vain sort of way and but you have to say it you know when god leads you to say it you have to say it you're wrong you're not going the right way You need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to go the other way. And that's what we need to do. We need to go the other way. We need to come out of our sins and get into righteousness. And that's where we need to go more than anywhere else, is into a way of righteousness the Corban of the Pharisees made the Word of God the none effect It took care of the needy of society. It took care of the homeless. It took care of the infirm. It took care of all sorts of things. And we've seen miraculous healings already. And you too can be a part of that. But you, what we're really looking for now is those who see because it's already written in their heart. Those who want to go another way. This Corbin of the Pharisee, uh, where they they talk about the word worship. In uh, in, uh, Mark 7, 7, it says, uh, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The commandments of men. People always talk about not being under the law anymore. We're not under the law. But they are under the law. They're under thousands of laws. Uh, Actually, millions of laws. They're under all those laws because they have made a covenant with their kings and their rulers and their presidents and their prime ministers to serve them if they will take care of them and provide them with their daily bread and their housing and their Medicare and the medical and all these things even though they know that these men who call themselves benefactors exercise authority one over the other, and Christ forbid you to do that, you're doing it. It's right there in the text. And yet you're doing it. And you say you believe in Jesus, but we don't do as he says. What did Jesus say about those who said they believed in Moses? But they do not what Moses says. It says, okay, you have to obey those that you have gone under. That's why they're asking them questions like, is it lawful to pay the tribute? He knew, he knew he would deliver the people from this bondage, but they weren't delivered yet. You can be delivered too, but you have to repent. You may have to be friends with the unrighteous mammon and be a part of that, but you need to glean in the field at night in other words, you have to come together in every waking spare time that you have to start caring for one another and creating the alternative to the corbin of the Pharisees, which is the corbin of Christ, which was the church. Not the church that you know of today that exercises authority over your thinking and, and delivers you into bondage somebody was reading from Washington Irving, and you know, my uh, nine-year-old is uh, home, uh, not my nine-year-old, my nine-year-old grandson uh, is home taught, and and he's getting into bigger and bigger books now. And uh, uh, they were, my daughter was looking to re- and reading Washington Irving there to see if he was ready for that book, and and they were talking about uh history. I'm pretty sure it was in Washington Irving. They were talking about history and they had gone all the way back to William the Conqueror was putting down this group that were of rebels and that group of rebels and everything and these that had tried to usurp his authority and everything. Well, of course those are all those rebels he's putting down. Those are terrorists. But really What were they really doing? They were freedom fighters. (laughs) They didn't want to have a king. They had no king but God Almighty. And they didn't want that king to exercise authority. But the people had forgotten some of the basics of Christendom. And today, they don't even have knowledge of it. I mean, they they read the words that's in the book, but they don't do it. I'm just astounded. How can you guys keep missing this? It's right there. But they don't because they're under this very strong delusion that they already know. And it was there in the Old Testament, of course. Now, people have messed around with the translations, but mostly they've messed around with your preconceived notions. And we're going to get into that when we study Romans. We're going to go through every single verse and chapter of Romans. And like I said, I've already done Ephesians and Colossians, and I might do them again because, in doing that, going through them verse by verse, and then listening to other people that are under the strong delusion, I start seeing you know what they do not see you know i I see their blind spot, and then I yearn to know, well, how can I show them that the this is a scale keeping you from seeing the whole truth, and there are many scales that people put on that are all provided by these these uh, damnable heretics that have crept into what is calling itself the church and has led the people astray. So God has called this old shepherd to come and lead you back towards the kingdom so that you can put on the wedding garments and not be cast out into the utter darkness. But that's your choice to put on the wedding garments. We're calling people to come. You need... To start moving in that direction, but anyway, in that it talks about the commandments of men, and of course that's that's the corbin that you created, and that it's, it's run by rulers who make rules, and they make collections and they provide for the people, and there's this word uh, sabomai, uh which we see translated into worship, and uh, it's also translated devout. It's even translated religious at, in one place, uh, to and it talks about it revere and worship. When the people were in Egypt, what Moses was asking is he wanted to let those people go that they would worship God on their own altars. This idea of worshiping, we don't really understand what that is, and it has to do with the social welfare. You can't give anything to God. I used to tell the story about the rabbi and the Protestant minister and the Catholic priest who would all have this way of dividing what he received and their contributions between what he gives to God and what he keeps for his own living. they drew the circle and they threw the stuff up in the air. And it, if it was a big circle, the what fell inside the circle they gave to God, and what fell outside the circle they kept for themselves. And then the other one had a small circle, and what fell outside he gave to God, and what fell inside he he kept for himself. And then supposedly the Jew says he throws, he, he does something very similar, but he throws it up into the air and he says, what God wants he can keep. And, uh, of course, everything comes back down and keeps it all. But the reality is, is that you can't give to God by throwing it up into the air. You give to God by giving to others. Because Christ said, if you love me, feed my sheep, take care of their needs, so they don't have to go to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. And that is worshiping God. But to worship in a system of Corbin where you have to lay so much on the altar, by statutory commands, is the antithesis of what Christ said. Because it's not your heart that causes your need to contribute. It's the law. You have to contribute. And it provides entitlements. It's not based on humble prayer. See, when you go to church, you should pray with your minister that somebody steps forward and helps you out when you lost your job, when you get sick, when you get ill, when whatever. It should be all taken care of through your church. All taken care of through your church. And through your congregation and congregations of congregations. In other words, every home church gathers with another home church through a network of ministers so that they can practice this thing called worship. The usual word for uh, to worship is proskuneo, not suppamai, because it's a little bit different word. The verse that we see there quotes Isaiah 29.13, which says, Wherefore, the Lord said, For as much as the people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Not by God. You see, that's what we've done in these churches. They, they give lip service to Christ. But they do not worship Christ with the Corbin of Christ. Their hearts are far from them. It's all words and niceness. If you want your daily bread, you have to go to the men who exercise authority one over the other. But call themselves benefactors. The ones who take from your neighbor. You have to covet your neighbor's goods through those systems which is not keeping the commandments which will not bring you eternal life which will not bear the fruit of righteousness it will bear the fruit of unrighteousness which is more force more power more control people worry about you know enacting gun control laws and and taking away uh, freedom of speech and and uh, the the right to be uh, secure in your personal papers and property and that you don't have to testify against yourself. And they're worried about drones killing people and all these other things. Everything comes back to the fact that you're seeing the fruits of unrighteousness. If you would go back to the Corbin of Christ... And start taking care of one another. Homeschooling. Home health. Gathering together in congregations that take care of one another. So that they do not have to go to those benefactors. And that may be a process. That's not going to happen overnight completely. It's a direction that you have to be going in. I don't know how far the prodigal son had to walk until he got out of the land of the pig farmer. It's a process. Then the fruits will become different though. If you go that way, and that's where that's the only way you can go. That is the only way to find Christ, to find the kingdom of God. Is through the ways of Christ. Until we get right back, uh, peace be with you. Well, welcome back to Kings of the Kingdom. We're talking about drawing near God, worshiping God. We're talking about what that really means, why you should not be a predator, Where why you should not pray to them who are predators, who exercise force, who actually live by the sword. When you get bread from those men who exercise authority one over the other, when you get those benefits from those men, you live by the sword of those men. You live by their force and power. And they will seek more power. Power corrupts, but it also seeks more power until it has absolute power. And that's where people are going. And that it's not a system based on love. It's a based on power. And so the fruit of power is destruction. The fruit of the sword is destruction. And that's where you're going. That's where you've been going. Now you get to turn around and start going back the other way. And this is what Christ was preaching, that you should go the other way. Now people say, just believe in Christ, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. You just believe in Christ, but you're not really believing in Christ. And so, because Christ said that the word and the way of the Corbin that they were following was making the word of God to none effect. So, he was saying to go another direction. And, as I said, it was they were quoting Isaiah 29.13, which was a revelation about people saying they draw near to God, but were actually far from him. They were actually staying with the pig farmer. They were staying with the benefactors who exercised authority one over the other. They were not going near Christ. And that word Corbin, which means sacrifice, actually comes from a word that means to draw near. This was a common theme and complaint made by Jesus Christ. That people... Did not really believe in him, did not really believe in the Father, did not really believe in Moses. And in Luke six forty six he says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And modern Christians don't. They have the Corbin of the Pharisees. Matthew seven twenty two, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works you know built hospitals and and built orphanages and and started schools and and what did Jesus say you know get ye from me you workers of iniquity i didn't even know you you didn't even know me you were doing something completely different than what i said you were not following the gospel of christ and this is what we'll get into when we study romans Paul preached the gospel of Christ. He did not preach the gospel of Paul. He preached the gospel of Christ, and he says this over and over and over again. But we have people saying, oh, Paul preached a different message, so we can disregard what Christ says. You know, I actually was reading so many doctrines of different churches, and I was noticing that they hardly mentioned Christ. I mean, he's in there. They got a few things that he said, but some of the direct statements and directions that Christ gave, they just leave that out. But they put in Paul. But Paul wasn't repeating everything that Christ said, but he said he was preaching the gospel of Christ. He was talking to people that were already doing what Christ said. You're not doing that. He was helping them stay on the straight path. You haven't even turned around yet. <laughs> You just got wet when you got baptized. You said you wanted to follow Christ. You said, Lord, Lord, but you're not doing what he said to do. In Luke 13:25, when Once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. He shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Or Matthew 7.21. Which, uh, you know, what he had said before, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That is the gospel of Christ, and that is the gospel Paul was teaching. And he was not saying in any way, shape, or form that you don't have to do the will of the Father. That he was doing away with the law of the Father. He was doing away with all those other most laws that were of men. The handwritten ordinances of men were nailed to the cross not the law of god you still have to obey that matthew 7:24 therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them i will make like unto a wise man which built his house on the rock but people somehow think that paul was not preaching christ and we could go through verse after verse after verse where paul was and he said he was. The gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the Son of God, of Christ. Over and over again he says this. He even tells you to keep the commandments. You know, don't commit adultery. Don't covet. But yet your church will say it's okay to covet as long as you do it through government. It's not. It is anti-Christ. And the door will be slammed in your face if you continue in this strong delusion. Luke six forty seven Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. Is that what you're doing? Are you doing them? Now, will you do them perfect? No. And that's where grace comes in. But you've got to be going in that direction. Because if you ha- aren't going in that direction, you haven't turned around. You haven't repented. And it's not that hard a direction to go in. Hard times are coming whether you go in that direction or not. I tell you, go in that direction and Christ will be on your side of the scales. If you don't go in that direction, He's not going to be there for you. He will not even hear your prayers. He will not hear your voice. Jesus had told them in verse 6 that they were hypocrites because they honored Him with their lips only. He said, He answered and said unto them, Well, hath I, uh, Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites? As it is written, The people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Are you ready to practice pure religion? Are you ready to take care of the needy of your society by faith, hope, and charity alone? Well, certainly you don't want to take care of everybody, but you want to come to a wedding feast. And we know good and evil will come to that wedding feast, and they will not put on the garments, these ways of Christ. They will not do that. Well, we know that God will cast them out. In the meantime, we get to practice forgiveness and righteousness. And take care of their needs according to the leading of Christ in your heart you don't you don't take care of every need that comes up, you do it according, but you be careful now, rationalize, oh well, they're not good enough, I shouldn't give to them. I will keep my my bread. You should give away, you should be tithing to somebody somewhere. I don't care if it's to the United Way. you should be tithing to somebody. Every day. In every way. Now, I don't advise the United Way. I advise that you get to know who you're giving to, the minister you give to, and make sure that he's doing a good job. And that he is keeping track of the money that you give him. Because you have to keep track of what he's doing, or you are shirking your responsibility of choosing true ministers of Christ. That's your job, to find out who is really serving Christ, who is really preaching Christ. You can't just give away irresponsibly. You have to find out who is really preaching Christ and give to Him, or even her, whoever you can find, and give according to the, what you think they deserve because of what they are doing. Are they feeding the sheep? And this, that portion that you give is just a beginning because you have to support all the needs of society your society of Christ's society of those who will come to the feast according to righteousness in a way that strengthens the poor Yes, somebody was telling me they work in a store and somebody was there buying groceries with their equivalent to the EBT card their welfare card and he got a readout of how much money was on the card. Because it was somehow, I don't know how it all works. I have never even had a card, never even touched one. But anyway, he could tell how much was on the card. There was over $6,000 on this guy's food stamp card. Not the needy. <laughs> That's not the needy. And, you know, I know people that are on welfare living in nicer homes than I have with a bigger screen TV and. Weigh four times what I weigh, <laughs> uh, and that is not strengthening the poor. I it it's not the corruption of that system is not the fact that it's abused. It's the fact that you're a part of that abuse. You're you're injuring those poor people by giving them that free bread and making them slothful and lazy they They aren't coming anywhere near the kingdom of God, well they probably someone watch their religious shows and their preachers, and they even probably send in some money out of their their welfare check <laughs> to some of them uh, but it is completely devoid of Christ and John the Baptist it is spitting in the face of Christ. reading on in isaiah the the prophecy tells us the people. It tells the people that the wise men will be hard to come by. And that's exactly what happened in Mark seven fourteen. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work amongst the people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. It goes on and in uh, verse 16 to say, Surely your turning of of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, He had no understanding? Well, that's exactly where we are all at. We have no understanding. We have fallen short of the grace of God. We have gone out of the way. We have become blind, and we have asked the blind to lead us. And in verse 18 it says, And in that day shall the deaf hear and the word of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. That's your job. That's where we need to go. We need to seek that righteousness and the ways of that righteousness. Jesus repeated all these ideas of taking sight from those who say they see. In John 9, 41, it says, Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now, ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. And that's what's happening in the churches today. That they are not seen the truth because they believe they've already seen and people are going around preaching a gospel that oh all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you're saved but yet they don't tell you who Jesus really was and what he was really saying and what his gospel really was and Paul says he's preaching that gospel and that gospel says that the corbin of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect and that if you are to be his ministers you are to feed his sheep and provide for their needs according to the charity of your heart's and the leading of the Holy Spirit living within you. So what were the Pharisees blind to? The same thing that people are blind to today. What did they fail to understand? The same thing that the ministers today are failing to understand. How did they turn the world upside down? Same way you've turned the world upside down. You know, it was the Pharisees who invited the Romans to stay. It was the Pharisees who wanted them to secure their system. it was, Herod was following this system of Corban that had come from the Greeks to the Romans and from the Romans to the citizens of Judea. The system of Corban where you sign up and you have to pay in. There was still a lot of government subsidies from other sources, but as those fell away, the benefits decreased. You know, there was a riot at the time of Jesus Christ because the funds that were in that Treasury of Corbin. They actually even translate the word Corbin treasury in one place. The funds were taken out to build an aqueduct by uh, issuance of agreements with the Romans. They would build this aqueduct to bring water into Jerusalem, which was a good thing. And there were riots because people said, you're pilfering our Social Security fund. And there won't be any money left there for us if you do this. They were really upset. And there were riots where the it wasn't it was big demonstrations and but the soldiers mingled amongst them and pulled out clubs. The soldiers were wearing civilian clothes and pulled out clubs and suddenly revealed themselves and started beating people on the head to disperse the crowds. I guess they didn't have the fire hydrants in yet to squirt water cannons out. <laughs> but the point is, this is this is what makes the word of God the none effect is these systems, and it leads to the bludgeoning of one another because when things start getting short, they're going to be extremely abusive of anyone who is not a part of that system, and people who try to cheat that system will be extremely punished. And so, I don't advise anybody to cheat that system. Be friends with the unrighteous mammon, but start building the alternative, which is dependent. Those systems are based on contracts, covenants, and constitutions. Those systems are based on you making a covenant with them and their gods. With their their rulers. By applying to them and signing up. And you may have already done that. The system of God is based on love. And honor, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That's part of the Ten Commandments. That's a description of what you should be doing. You you sons should be honoring your fathers, and your fathers should be paying in to ministers who do not exercise authority one over the other, but provide all the same benefits. Not in a social insurance program, but a, a social assurance program based on love and charity and hope and faith. That's that's going to breed a different kind of person, a different kind of society, and produce a different kind of fruit in your society. There is a famine in our society today where we are not doing what we should be doing so that we and so now there will actually be a real famine that comes about. Everything is spiritual. All these things that are going to come about are the result of spiritual choices. Salvation is a result of a spiritual choice to choose Christ and the ways of Christ and follow in those ways. It's not lip service. Lip service does not save you. In Exodus twenty one seventeen it says, And he that curses, curseth his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. He who says, I have already given. I'm not going to take care of my parents. I mean, I don't know how many people I know that say they have come out of the system and they're out of Babylon, but they're actually living at home with their parents. They say, well, I'm taking care of my parents. You're living on their social security check. That's what you're doing. You're living on their labor. You're not providing for your parents. You're still taking from them. Taking from the benefactors who exercise authority. And you may have to do that because you've gone so far in the long run. When the the guy who was taking care of the pig farmer, the prodigal son, decided he was going to head back, I'm sure he took some of the corn cobs and put in his pocket so he'd have something to eat along the way. <laughs> But he didn't take more than what he had an entitlement to, I hope. I don't think he, you know. The fact is, is you're in this system. This system is on the verge of crumbling and falling apart. You need to repent. You need to start setting the table of the Lord by coming together in small intimate groups because you're going to have some bad guys come in there too sit at the table with you, some evil people. Hopefully, they will repent in this process. And hopefully, you will learn to put on the wedding garments so that the Master does not say, why don't you have the wedding garments on? And what are those wedding garments? It's the garments of faith, hope, and charity. They're woven daily as you exercise in a system of Corbin that makes the Word of God to none effect. Where you sacrifice your life, your labor, your living for others. And then God will hear your prayers. And He will bless you accordingly. It doesn't mean that you give everything you make to just anybody who asks. You must give responsibly. And many of you cannot see the wicked that are in your midst right now. You do not have eyes to see. You still see through scales. The charity of Christ strengthens the poor the charity of christ does not give license to the unrighteous it does not support the unrighteous and we have many clues in the bible about what righteousness looks like are you taking care of your family are you taking care of your 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 husbands and your wives and your children You know, you can't even be a minister of Christ. I mean, how many places does it tell us that? The husband of one wife, whose family is in good order, to be the minister of Christ. That doesn't mean everybody who's in the congregation has to be that way, but your ministers should be setting that shining example of righteousness. And they, they need to take the time to do that to be good husbands to be good wives to be good sons of fathers and good fathers to sons and that that's the the ministers you should be choosing you have there is no shortage of responsibility to go around in the kingdom of God it is a kingdom of individual responsibility and that's why all the work that we've done explaining in the Free Church Report is constantly delegating responsibility back to the individual. Because what Christ was preaching, and this is where the phrase comes from, it actually comes from Whitecliffe's translation of the Bible. This book is for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's where Abe got it from, out of the Cliff Bible. Out of that introduction. Because they're telling you that you have to take back your God-given responsibilities in order to receive back your God-given rights. And in that process, you are making your way back to your Father. You're drawing near. That's why sacrifice comes from the word that means draw near. Because as you come together in that congregation help one another, your intention will not be pure. You will not do it with absolute pure righteousness. But in that process you will come face to face with your come face to face with your unrighteousness. And hopefully God will run out and meet you halfway, and that will be very important because you cannot save yourself by your works. And Paul was right in saying so. You are saved by grace. But you have to repent. And head back. And your ministers are blind and not telling you the way back. The way back is to not sit and eat with rulers, not pray to them for your daily bread, not make them the father of your family. But you become fathers of your family. You take care of your sons and your daughters and your wives. And you take care of your neighbor in free assemblies that we call congregations. And those congregations take care of congregations and those same free assemblies through faith, hope, and charity. Until we meet again, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you.
0: You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.